Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Optimizing Immunotherapy in Patients with Advanced Basal Cell Carcinoma, Practical Strategies to Inform Care. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported through an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger coming to you from Charleston, South Carolina. I practice at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Charleston and also direct the Clinical Research Center of the Carolinas. And today we're going to talk about basal cell carcinoma and why it's important that we now have additional treatment options for our patients with advanced basal cell carcinoma. So some of the key facts for basal cell carcinoma, it is the most common human cancer overall. It's highly curable, and it's the one that's least likely metastasized if it's treated early. For basal cell carcinoma, the incidence of metastases varies from 0.0028% to 0.55%. And today we're going to be discussing systemic treatment. Primarily, when that should be considered when patients have nodal or distant metastatic disease or may not be good candidates for surgery or radiation. Here are some basal cell carcinomas that some may consider to be more advanced and might give us pause as to whether surgery may or may not be the best option for a patient and or radiation, a periorbital tumor, a large tumor on the neck, and then of course the preauricular area near the ear may be considered to be higher risk tumors for either nodal or distant metastases for basal cell carcinoma and or spread. When thinking about systemic therapies for advanced basal cell carcinoma, we often refer to the National Comprehensive Cancer Network guidelines, which are available in terms of treating locally or advanced metastatic basal cell carcinoma, where topical therapy, surgery, or radiation therapy is unlikely to be curative. So thinking about, is a hedgehog pathway inhibitor appropriate? If that case is yes, you might think about bismotigib or sinitigib. A good number of patients, possibly close to 50%, don't respond to hedgehog pathway inhibitor therapy. And even after the initial response, many may develop resistance later. Disease progression or intolerance may occur with either of these medications, which may cause one to think about possibly switching to the other. There's not a lot of good data showing that moving from bismotigib to sinitigib or back to bismotigib is that helpful in most cases. If disease progression or intolerance occurs, then you may also think about immunotherapy. The approved medication is selimipimab, which is dosed as an IV at 350 milligrams every three weeks. Here's an example of a patient who was treated with bismotigib. You can see the before and after with biopsy-proven clearance at two months and a presentation of basal cell carcinoma that is a larger lesion on the forearm that improved after five courses of selimipimab IV therapy. So just some examples of what you might encounter in your clinic and how to treat your patients with advanced skin cancer, basal cell carcinoma. And the next session, we're going to actually start talking about patients with advanced basal cell carcinoma that should be considered for immunotherapy. Now we're going to talk about immunotherapy for advanced basal cell carcinoma, which patients might be candidates. Some of the things you would think about are progression of disease on prior hedgehog pathway inhibitor therapy. If you don't see response after six months on hedgehog pathway inhibitor therapy, or if a patient's intolerant to this type of therapy for any number of reasons that may occur. When thinking about progression on a hedgehog pathway inhibitor therapy, one goes to the recess criteria. These are the criteria that are used in the studies when looking at if a tumor has progressed. 
So if you have a greater than equal 20% relative increase in the sum of the target lesion diameters, this sum must demonstrate an absolute increase of at least 5 millimeters. You can also have the appearance of one or more new lesions. When you're looking at topical lesions that you can see on the surface and or using photographs, you would use the WHO criteria, which have a little bit more stringent criteria. They have to have at least a 25% increase in the sum of the diameters and or progression of non-index lesions or any new lesions. The hedgehog pathway inhibitors have a number of adverse events as shown here. Most commonly, nausea, alopecia, loss of taste, weight loss, and muscle spasms. Each patient may have a different adverse event profile, and there are a number of ways such as using L-carnitine or scopolamine or other things to treat these side effects as they start coming up with our patients so they can remain on therapy. Or you also may be thinking it could be just due to adverse event profile that the patient may not be comfortable with. So in that case, you may consider immunotherapy with the only approved agent that we currently have, which is simethamab. Lastly, when a patient has the complete response with hedgehog pathway inhibitor therapy and then they relapse, the question is, is it a good idea to retreat with the same medication to try to get a response again? And you can see that if you rechallenge a complete response with vismotogeb, about half the patients may start to see progression by 24 months. This may also give us pause and make us think about using another line of therapy, such as immunotherapy. So taking away a few points from this session, it's important to think about which of your patients might be candidates for hedgehog pathway inhibitor therapy versus immunotherapy. Be able to think about the clinical criteria that you will use in order to determine if a patient is progressing on existing therapy and then being able to manage the adverse events so that way patients are able to remain on therapy. In the next session, we'll be discussing the efficacy of the available and emerging immunotherapies for the management of advanced basal cell carcinoma. Now, let's review some of the efficacy expectations associated with immunotherapy regimens in patients with advanced basal cell carcinoma. So, if have a second-line therapy for advanced basal cell carcinoma, you can see the median follow-up here is 15 months, and patients' estimated progression-free survival is approximately 20 months. The estimated 12-month event-free probability is a little over 50%. So, it gives you a little bit of idea how long patients may respond on therapy. So when you're using for advanced basal cell carcinoma simiflimab, the overall survival in the multi-center open-label study gives you an idea of how long they're doing well. And you can see that patients are doing well out to at least 24 months. So that's good to see, and more data will be forthcoming over time. When using simiflimab as second-line therapy for advanced basal cell carcinoma, the disease control rate of 80% are the patients who remained on disease-free therapy for a certain period of time. Hemerlizumab is a, another agent that may be used for advanced basal cell carcinoma, although it is not currently approved. This is a waterfall plot, just giving an idea of individual patients that were treated with hemerlizumab alone versus pembrolizumab and bismotogeb, indicating that there may be a slight advantage for combination therapy, but more study is needed. When using second-line pembrolizumab for advanced basal cell carcinoma, you can see the overall response rate remains in the 30s and 40s for pembrolizumab monotherapy, and then in the 30s for pembrolizumab plus vismotogeb. This is a phase two study with nivolumab plus or minus relatumab for advanced basal cell carcinoma. Looking at these data, you can see that the complete response rate for all patients was almost 50%, a little bit higher for patients who are treatment naive, but the numbers are very small. So when you treat with nivolumab plus relitinumab in second line therapy, the complete responses are lower, but still seeing some responses. More data 
should be following in the future. With immunotherapy, we are lucky to have improved overall response rates. So we can give our patients a little bit more comfort that they probably will respond relatively early in their treatment course. And, you know, when you're looking at overall response rates in the 30s, as opposed to in the 10s and 20s, that's very helpful. So in this session, we saw some of the data for immunotherapy. In the next session, we'll talk about what safety concerns we should be aware of when giving immunotherapies to our patients with advanced basal cell carcinoma. So now we're going to go ahead and talk about the safety profiles for immunotherapy regimens in patients with advanced basal cell carcinoma. Because immunotherapy works by blocking the receptors between the tumor cells and the T cells, causing an increase in immune response, almost any system in the body can be affected. The most common organ systems affected by immunotherapy are listed here, and a dual immunotherapeutic approach can increase the incidence and severity of immune-related adverse events. This graph shows you which adverse events are likely to stick. It also gives you an idea of which adverse events occur at what timeline. So you can see that skin rash often occurs early, followed by GI side effects. And then later on, you may say liver toxicity, pneumonitis can occur relatively in the mid portion of therapy. But that line that goes upward and then goes straight, those are the endocrinopathies. So endocrinopathies start after a few months, maybe five to seven months, but they can also be the adverse events that stay with the patient even after they have discontinued therapy. This gives you an idea of the more rare adverse events such as myocarditis, cholangitis, and atrophic extracurricular pancreatic insufficiency. So all these different things can occur later, but the most common adverse events are listed on the left side here. Generally, when we're looking at managing adverse events, we look at grade, grade one being mild symptoms that are typically treated with supportive measures. Grade two are moderate symptoms, which usually require therapy. Oftentimes for immunotherapy, it's going to be corticosteroids, prednisone at commonly given doses. And then grade three adverse events require medication to be held for a period of time while adverse events are being managed, bringing that back down below grade one. If you have a grade four adverse event, that typically means you're going to be permanently discontinuing medication. Steroids do not affect the efficacy of immunotherapy and are oftentimes the mainstay of managing many of the adverse events that we see. The most important thing to be aware of is that adverse events can occur in any system in the body and they need to be managed early. So involvement of the multidisciplinary team to help manage these, as well as making sure your office staff are attuned to when patients call in with symptoms that may be related to immunotherapy to let the physicians know right away. In this next session, we'll discuss what I do in my practice to make sure that patients with advanced basal cell carcinoma on immunotherapy experience the best quality of life possible. Let's talk about how I manage my patients on long-term immunotherapy for basal cell carcinoma. The recommendations for adverse event management and monitoring during immunotherapy are shown. Standard biological testing is conducted before starting, then started, and then each therapy, medical assessments are performed, including physical exam, questioning for adverse events, and then laboratory evaluations that are performed with each cycle of immunotherapy. As far as laboratory monitoring during and after immunotherapy, at the minimum, a CBC with differential and a complete metabolic panel is performed prior to every cycle of immunotherapy, but also every four to six weeks, TSH and free T4, so monitoring the endocrine system, serum cortisol may be measured in the morning at certain points. And then after discontinuation, for whatever reason, still every 12 weeks, monitor the CBC and differential and complete metabolic panel, thyroid function, and serum cortisol in some cases, and then other laboratory examinations as needed. This may occur for a year or longer, depending on how your patient's doing. 
Other things that you may do also to monitor during and after immunotherapy may include baseline pulmonary function tests for our high-risk patients, baseline cardiology assessment, and a baseline EKG, then starting immunotherapy and response monitoring. So this may be using imaging, such as MRI, CT scans for recess criteria, and or clinically using WHO criteria, looking at progression or improvement on an emergence of any adverse event, perform specific follow-up testing, monitor to enhance early recognition of emergent immune-related adverse events and recurrence, managing immunotherapy-related adverse events. I go over all the adverse events in my patients, possibly to have letting them know that almost any system in their body can be affected. You want to make sure they know what to look for and know what to report. For example, simple symptoms like cough or diarrhea, shortness of breath, weakness, fatigue. These are things that patients should be reporting to right away, and your staff should be trained to let you know right away when these things occur. They're not those typical adverse events that our patients might normally report in dermatology practice, so they should report that early, and then regularly test for potential adverse events. It can't be emphasized enough how important the multidisciplinary approach is. Hopefully, in these sessions, I was able to communicate the patient types that may be candidates for systemic therapy for advanced basal cell carcinoma. Early identification of adverse effects and management is key so that patients may stay on therapy longer. These medications often work better than advertised, but the response takes time. Involvement of a multidisciplinary team will help provide patients the best overall care, not only during treatment, but also in the management of adverse effects. It is a group effort. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.